Welcome back to A View from the Couch. My name is Rich. And I'm Jen. And today we are, <laughs> we're diving back into the old M. Night Shyamalama Ding Dong pool, aren't we? Yeah, we are. Oh boy. Knock at the Cabin. That's his new one. It is. But the twist is amazing. It is, huh? Yeah. There is yeah. no twist. Yes, there is. The twist is he didn't write it, which is why there's no twist. It's based on a novel. Yeah, so he did not write the source material, and he didn't write this screenplay alone either, did he? He did not. There's two other gentlemen that help him out yeah. on this one. I You would tend to think, I think a lot of the problems that I have with M. Night Shyamalan are the dumb turns that some of his some of his films take when he writes them himself. And you'd think that by adapting something else that that would resolve that problem but it doesn't always because old adapted from a french comic still has all the stupid m night Shyamalan nonsensical like oh we're gonna we're gonna turn this on its head but it doesn't necessarily need to be turned on its head and he doesn't seem to always focus on the most interesting aspects of the story he tends to try and go for the fantastical rather than zero in on the things that maybe will speak to the time in which these films are produced, you know? Yeah. I feel like he's always trying to one-up an old victory he had with a, tw- <laughs> a twist movie, and now it's like he's just trying to outdo that twist, but he never succeeds. Yeah. No, he doesn't, does he? I mean, I think the last film that I actually enjoyed one of his twists on was probably unbreakable. Yeah. Signs, the twist wasn't even that much of a twist. No. You know? It was there, but not much. Right. It was pretty subtle. Right. And then The Happening, oh my God, which this movie, by the way, reminds me, though, like way too much of The Happening. Oh, really? Oh my God. You need to watch The Happening. I know I that you- I don't want to. I you want- You have bashed on it so much at this point, <laughs> I don't want to waste my time. You will never know the exquisite hot dog-centered dialogue- that is the happening if you don't watch it. I'm going to tell you this. I feel this. like I'm okay with that, though. We should do an M. Night Shyamalan miniseries. Uh. <laughs> we should. We should. And the happening should be in there. We got to. I feel like you're going to really push for that just so I'll watch that movie. You I... keep asking me to watch that. I just don't want to watch it. I want someone to share in my pain. But here's the thing. I feel like I don't have a lot of time to sit and enjoy movies. Why am I going to purposely go watch something I know is going to be garbage? You don't know that it's going to be garbage. You know that I, I think it's garbage. I feel like it's going to be garbage. <laughs> you are not the only one that has bashed on that movie. That is true. It is kind of universally panned, isn't it? Yes. Anyway, this movie reminded me of that. Not to preview my thoughts too much. At least the premise seems similar. Okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah. So, speaking of this movie, why don't you tell people who else is involved? All right. So, M. Night Shyamalan had Steve Desmond and Michael Sherman help him with the screenplay. Do I know those names? I don't believe you're going to know either of these writers. Okay. Yeah, just by quick looking at them, they look like they're kind of rookies to the full-length feature film Mm -hmm. biz. They've made a couple of shorts, but I don't know. This movie is based on a book, The Cabin at the End of the World, written by Paul Tremblay. Did you read that book? 
I was going to listen to the audio book of okay. it because I don't have a lot of time to read right now because it is tax season and I'm busy a lot. I'm a lot more busy than I normally am. And what I've been doing on my commute is listening to audiobooks. And so I decided to download this from Hoopla, which is our, your local library. We patronize your local library, folks. That's what it's there for. But I downloaded the audiobook. I couldn't get past the narrator's voice. The narrator sounds like, yeah, like when you're watching TikTok videos and that robot woman voice pops that computerized up. computerized thing. Yeah, yeah. That's what it sounds like. I wonder if it is. I wonder if they scanned the book into the system and just let it auto-read it. I don't think so. There's a person's name attached to it. So unless they named this AI. Maybe she's the person behind the computerized voice. I don't know. (laughs) But she's like, like. Everything she says is like this. So terrible voice acting. It was a terrible read. And when she does, like, Leonard's voice, she does stuff like, oh my, that's terrible. And it, and <laughs> like, and I'm not exaggerating. I'm not exaggerating. I made it 10 minutes into this, which is probably eight minutes longer than I should have stayed. But at the 10 minute mark, I had to shut it off. I couldn't listen so to it anymore. So neither one of us have read the book. Now, no. I did come across... A big difference from the book to the movie, and it has to do with the end, and I want to wait and talk about it when we get to the end of the movie. Oh, I thought you were going to say the book was written well. Oh. (laughs) Uh, I haven't read the book, so I don't know. All right, this stars Jonathan Groff as Eric, Ben Aldridge as Andrew. I'm sure I'm going to butcher this next name. Kristen Kwai as Wen. Not sure on that. Dave Bautista as Leonard, Rupert Grint as Redmond, Nikki Amuka Bird as Sabrina, and Abby Quinn as Adrian. Yeah, it's not a very big cast for the most part. There's a couple of spots where we go back and there's more people involved, but Mm -hmm. the core cast is pretty small. Now, Jonathan Groff, he's the new Agent Smith in the new new Matrix movie. He's the guy that Agent Smith has turned into. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Cool. Yeah. So that's... I think that's the only place I've ever seen him before, but yeah, he's... I'm pretty sure he's in the musical Hamilton, I think. Oh, is he? Yeah, he plays King George in Hamilton. Mm. It's a small part, but it's pretty good. Gotcha. I haven't seen that. that, Isn't that on Disney? Disney Plus? I think it is. I recommend it. I loved it. I thought it was a great, great little watch. Fair enough. And then this Dave Bautista guy, I never heard of him. He's interesting, right? I don't know what he's in. Yeah. (laughs) Well, okay, so he was in The Glass Onion. He's been in a couple other things, which is nice. I think he's a a very good, very decent actor. Rupert Grint. Now, this is Ron Weasley, right? Ron Ron Weasley. Weasley. When he was on screen, I actually took a note that says, Ronald Weasley, are you breaking and entering again? <laughs> Which is about my extent of my knowledge of Harry Potter things. Isn't that the letter that was yelling at him, but it was his mom or something like that? She disguised herself as a letter? What was that? It was a howler. He received a howler. What the hell does that mean? What is a howler? It's a, it's a letter that so basically So his mom yelled. turned herself into yep. a letter to yep. yell at him, right? Yep. Okay. So yeah. yeah. So I'm not that far off. No, you're not. You're okay. Not. But it had, didn't have to do with breaking and entering into anything. No, I know. No, yeah. but I mean, like, that she was yelling at him for something else. Yeah. And I thought this would be, you know, that's, <laughs> that, that'd be funny because 
you know, she's yelling at him for breaking and entering, right? Yeah. No, maybe not. I'm glad to start seeing him in some things. I know he's in a few other TV shows. I haven't seen them yet, but I'm glad to see that he's starting to get out there and get some, you know, into some movie roles again and stuff. Got some pretty decent chops on him. Yeah. Not so bad. Yeah, there's a couple shows that I've seen that he's in, and they look interesting. I just haven't mm. had the time to get to watching them. I would really like to check them out. So I see. All right, should we talk about the movie? Why don't we? Okay, so oh, are we ready to talk about <laughs> the M. Night Shyamalan? Are you ready? <laughs> I, you know, yeah, why not? What the hell? I'm always, I'm always down for a good M. Night Shyamalan fest. So we open with Wen, who is a precocious seven-year-old, and she is collecting and collating grasshoppers in the front yard of the cabin while her dads relax. This is a rented cabin that they came up there to vacation at, and she's approached by Leonard, who is a, they, they describe him as a mountain of a man. And he, he has a friendly smile, though, and he joins her in catching grasshoppers, and everything's kind of cool until he, until he tells Wen that he's there to do something that he's going to regret. And when he says that, his companions start to walk out of the woods, and they're all carrying handmade weapons, and Wen is kind of startled and runs back to the cabin to get her dad's. Now... I feel like this child was not taught well enough about stranger danger. I mean, she's out in the middle of nowhere and some random guys walking up to her. She probably should have taken off into the cabin right away. Yeah, she does look suspicious of him at first. Right, um, but she doesn't do anything. She just no, sits there. No, she doesn't. She doesn't do anything about it. She does just sit there. You're right. But she does. In fact, she says, I'm not supposed to talk to strangers, which, of course, we get. Then we get the, well, my name is so-and-so. Now we're not strangers, which is basically Pennywise, right? Isn't that Pennywise? Yeah. I use Pennywise and you're Georgie. And we're friends now. See? Hover, roar, roar. You know, it's supposed <laughs> to make you feel uneasy. But what's with the grasshoppers? I'm so is that is that have to do with something with the end of the world and you know the locusts invade and all that mm -hmm. stuff? I'm assuming it has to do with that. Yeah. Later on, the grasshoppers will be used as a as a metaphor that like smacks you right in the face. Obviously, the grasshoppers are the people trapped in the cabin with the you know and 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 stuck in there, but they can't they can see out, but they can't get out. You know. Sure. But it's pretty heavy handed. I don't know. Yeah, grasshoppers and locusts, not quite the same thing, but close enough, but also a little, a little heavy handed, right? Like, like what? what? I don't know. I guess I, d I didn't really pay much attention to it. I just thought it more of this inquisitive girl who's obviously smart and she's kind of doing her own little studies on but stuff. But it doesn't so. go anywhere. It doesn't. It doesn't go but anywhere. But does everything in a movie have to go somewhere? No. Isn't some of it just but part they, of... Okay. Yes. Absolutely some of it is part just... Part of a character. Part, part of the of character. It? Oh, yeah. that's their quirk or that's their thing. Yes, yeah. absolutely. But they spend 10 minutes at the beginning of this movie about grasshoppers. And she's naming them and she's writing them up. I feel like there's probably a theme in the book related to the grasshoppers and how somehow she's using that... You know, that tendency or that ability to help the her dads out when they're when they're all caught. None of that comes back. None of that is used here. He just thought it was cool from the book and he's gonna use it in the movie. Is my is my is where it looked what it looks like to me. That could be. Yeah. 
So when runs into the cabin, she goes to get her dads, Eric and Andrew, and she warns them about the impending threat, but Leonard knocks on the door and tells them that he's there to perform a task with them and he needs to speak to them face to face. But they look out the window and they see how big Leonard is and they see his friends carrying their handmade weapons and they kind of get nervous and so they go run around the house and they lock all the doors and windows. But that doesn't stop these people from smashing into the house. Right. And what do you think of their tool this time to make sure they can't call the cops? Oh, the no cell service? Yeah. And the cutting of the phone line? Because there's a landline there. I mean, the landline thing, the cutting the landline, that's been used in everything from Friday the 13th to whatever. Like, every single, like, movie where people are trapped somewhere has Mm -hmm. to have a way that they can't communicate with people. You've got to take out the communications. I have been at cabins where you do not have cell service. We used to live somewhere that half the time the cell service was very sketchy. I, I think it made sense to put it in here mm-hmm. because otherwise you'd have a lot of people going well why aren't they just calling the cops yeah, just call well the you cops. gotta just yep. quickly tell us this is why yeah absolutely yeah. That, that that makes sense to me there's yep. the it, it's a smart way to shorthand they're isolated they're mm-hmm. trapped they're out in the middle of nowhere mm-hmm. by themselves with these home invaders mm-hmm. yep so when they break in they Eric and Sabrina kind of tussle, and she, and Eric ends up like landing on the floor and like banging his head, and he's concussed from that. Or does she grab him and like smack his head into the floor? I can't remember if that's what happens. I don't think I she think did. I was looking down, taking notes quick, and he all of a sudden he was on the ground. So I guess I didn't catch that part. What he, happened? I think he tripped and fell. Okay. And hit his head is what I think happened there. And the intruders are able to overcome and subdue the family. Sabrina tends to Eric's head wound because she's a nurse. And then we get a flashback. This movie has a few flashbacks to kind of try to parallel what's going on currently with things that went on in the past, or at least give motivations for why things are happening the way they're happening. But this first one is a flashback to Eric and Andrew meeting Andrew's parents. And Andrew's mom and dad not approving of their son's sexuality or his choice in partner. And they end up leaving after a 45-minute visit, even though they had to drive seven hours to meet them. This, This piece is only there, though, to show that even in trying times, Eric and Andrew have promised to always be together. Yeah. That's all it's there for. Yeah. I, yeah, I didn't see much other than that. I, I was at first just like, why is this even here? Right. Yeah. And, and in fact, I think, I think there's only one flashback to me that actually matters to the story. And we'll get to that one. So I just back... want to say real quick. Yeah. Parents that just don't accept their kids for their kids being who they are Mm -hmm. oh i hate that it's just heartbreaking every time it it happens in real life we see it on tv too it's just heartbreaking Mm -hmm. it just really bothers me well i mean i'm gonna say something probably pretty controversial here but they're not very good parents if they don't accept their children for who they are They're they're your kids they're your kids no matter what 
If you are having a problem dealing with it, that's a you problem, not a them yeah. problem. It's not like they're out killing people and eating their bodies or something. You know, I mean, it's literally like they just love somebody that maybe you don't think they should love. I think even just... even Jeffrey Dahmer, who was out murdering people and eating their bodies, was loved by his dad to the end. Yeah. His dad didn't like what he was doing, but he loved him and he showed him love. He said that he loved him to his son. So if he can do that, you can love your kids if they're gay. Period. Period. If you can't, you're a bigot. That's all I have to say. Hopefully I didn't lose us any listeners there, but I guess we'll see. Well, I mean, <laughs> yeah, anyways. All right, let's, let's move on. <laughs> all right, so back in the present day, we get to see that Eric and Andrew are now tied up, and the group has put on cartoons to calm when. Then the intruders introduce themselves, and they tell the couple about themselves. Leonard is a kid's baseball coach. Sabrina was a nurse. Adrian is a line cook. Redmond works as a natural gas laborer. And the group has had visions of the apocalypse, which led them to the couple's rented cabin and the family within. They gathered online and shared their wacko story. And then they banded together to go and invade a house. Is this movie about the January 6th insurrection? I didn't think of that, but I don't know. I just kept thinking this is some weird kind of... This is, I was trying to figure out what was going on. I'm mm -hmm. like, what is the twist here? Right. Because I know I'm watching, you know, an M. Night movie. Yeah. Where's the twist? So I kept thinking, okay, this is going to be some kind of weird, like, fraction off of a cult or something. It's going to be some kind of, like, weird Scientology shit happening, you know? Like, it is like, definitely some weird shit. Yeah, it was just bizarre. Yeah. You know, their absolute belief and faith of what they were spewing. I mean, it was just absolute nonsense what they were talking about. Yeah, and then what they're willing to do to prove it is, is even weirder. Right, right. So they've had this vision, or excuse me, Eric and Andrew and Wen are charged with choosing one of their family to sacrifice to prevent the apocalypse. So they've got to choose one of the people in their little trio to kill. They can't suicide. They have to be killed by the others. Eric and Andrew are like, no, fuck you. And this causes Redmond to step in front of them. He puts down his weapon. He kneels in front of them. He puts a white hood over his head. And then he, the other three intruders proceed to murder and, dis and decapitate him. So de decapitated was he? Yeah, I thought they just like no bash him in the head with that pokey thing. No, they the 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 two women stabbed him, uh -huh. and then you see Leonard like whoop, swoop down like executioner style with his weapon. That's decapitation. Oh. At least that's what it translates to me. Oh, I didn't think he was decapitated, but maybe he was. No, Anyways, I think his head gets cut off, and I think I think that. Leonard's eventual demise is an on is a is a is a kind of a, a type of decapitation, really, when you think about it, or at least it's a lesser version of it, slitting his own throat, which we'll get to, I guess. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. 
he doesn't have anybody left there to chop his head off for him. So, so at this point, I'm thinking these lunatics are willing to kill themselves, and we don't have to do anything. Let them. This is an easy out, right? I know. It's like, Such oh, you're gonna out. just kill yourselves. Okay, when go to your bedroom for a while. Yeah. Let them kill themselves off here, and off we go. Problem solved, right? Yeah. There you go. There we go. <laughs> but before we get to that, we get a another flashback showing Eric and Andrew adopting Wen, and we kind of learned that she was born with a cleft palate, and she had a couple of couple she had a bunch of surgeries to 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 correct that. But it never comes back again. Never comes back again. In fact, Leonard made mention of it when he first met Wen. He asked her about the scar on her lip. She shied away from it. He apologized. This never matters. This doesn't matter. None of this is important. What does this have to do with anything? Nothing. This doesn't come back at all. Absolutely nothing. What is the point of including it? There's no point in including it. Back to present day. Leonard turns the TV on. Well, I guess the TV had been turned off. He turns it back on and shows the family the catastrophic damage that their choice has caused. Basically, several tsunamis are devastating coastal regions around the world. And Eric, excuse me, Andrew believes that he and Eric and Wen are being targeted for being a gay family because he recognized Redmond as the man who savagely beat him in front of Eric at a bar. And he says that the guy's name isn't really Redmond. At this, So with this going on, I actually wrote down this earthquake happened hours before this whole thing even started. Right. So are they just using this as a means to justify their... Crazy bullshit? Lunatic behavior? You are starting to sound an awful lot like Andrew. There. I was 100% with Andrew this whole time. He... He was making sense to me when he was going on a lot. And honestly, a lot of the stuff he was saying moments before, I was like, wait, 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 wait. What about this? You yeah. know? Yep. Yeah. yeah. I, 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 I'm with you. I definitely felt the same way. Andrew was the one that made sense to me. He's the guy that definitely made sense. Also, at this point, I knew that Eric was going to die. Why did you know that Eric was going to die? I don't know. Huh. There was some something in my gut that said... Eric's going to die by the end of this thing. Ye old hunch. Yep. And I, ca- I can't pinpoint. Maybe if I watch it again, I could pinpoint to what what it was that made me think mm. that. But I immediately, right around, it was right after Redmond died. Okay. And they took put the TV on. I'm like, oh, I think Eric's going to be gone on this thing. Interesting. Well, nevertheless, the intruders tell them, no, that this you're, you're, we're not there because you're gay. We're here because of our, our whack job visions. So they, the next morning, Eric and Andrew are charged with the same decision. And Adrian, Adrienne, she steps up and basically pleads with them, tells them a story about her son and how she's had this vision of her son dying multiple times and he's burning while she's holding him and blah, blah, blah. And they're like, no, fuck you, we're not, we're not, we're not doing this. And so Adrienne puts on the white hood and puts her weapon down, gets murdered and beheaded in front of them. Now, here's a question. 
The vision includes Adrienne holding her son while he burns, but if the couple chooses not to kill one of themselves, Adrienne will be dead before the end of the world. So how would she be holding her son and burning? I don't know. It's nitpicky, I know, but still, come on. That to me, to me, it was that to me that made me think, well, that's not this obviously is made up then, right? This has got to be made up because how would she be seeing a vision of the future if she's not going to be in the future? If they just, if they, if they say no, she'll be dead. She couldn't hold her son in the future. I have no idea. (laughs) I don't know. Whatever. Anyway. After she's dead, Leonard turns the TV on again, and this time the news is about a fast-spreading virus that's killing thousands of children. But Andrew points out that the report was pre-recorded, just like the tsunami one, which is when you this is the, like you were this you were ahead of the curve there. You were already like, nah, something's not right here. Yeah. And he says that the group had to have known this, and they were using it in their plan to attack him and Eric and when. Then, then Sabrina and Leonard take Adrian's body outside so that the family won't have to look at it, or probably smell it, or smell it. <laughs> and while they're while they're alone, Andrew tells Eric that his his the ties around his wrists are starting to get loose. He says, "I think I'm going to be able to get out of here." They formulate a plan to have Wen sneak a knife to Eric and then create a distraction when the intruders come back. And they do come back. They again ask for a sacrifice. But Wen starts to throw a tantrum, making causing the distraction that they need, and the the guys get loose. Eric attacks Leonard and tries to tries to continue the distraction while Andrew runs to the car where he's got his gun. He forgot to bring the gun in with him, left it in the car. He is chased by Sabrina, and she she smashes him on the knee with her weapon. And just basically kind of hobbles him. I mean, dude is definitely hurt by that. Mm-hmm. He throws dirt in her face and manages to get in the car, manages to get the gun just as she's smashing in, and he fires off a warning shot and gets her to back off. And then we get another flashback. And this is the one that makes sense. This is the one that actually informs what's going on. This is the one that actually tells us why he is why he has a gun, why he knows how to defend himself, all this stuff. After he got attacked in the bar by a guy who looks like, and most, and definitely is, Redmond, they're trying to hide it. At this point, why are you trying to hide it? Do you try to maintain, like, still a mystery here? Is know. this the big reveal? Oh, well, it really wasn't him. doesn't really matter at this point. Hmm. We know it's him. So we find out that he, Andrew trained in self-defense, he purchased his gun, he learned how to shoot. So back in the present, Andrew returns to the cabin, he holds Leonard at gunpoint, but Sabrina tries to rush him, and Andrew shoots her. And then Andrew shows Leonard Redmond's wallet, which proves that Redmond isn't isn't who he says he is. He's a man named Rory O'Bannon, who is the guy who attacked Andrew. So we know, within moments, we know the truth. So again, what is the, why are you hiding his face? We know it's Ron Weasley. Ron Weasley beat up this dude. Yeah. So why are you hiding it? Ronald Weasley, are you being homophobic again? <laughs> Sorry. That's a, I don't know if I'm doing a very good Ron Weasley's mom impression. What's his mom's name? Molly. Molly Weasley. Is that a good Molly Weasley impersonation? Yeah. 
Not bad, really? Because I've only seen the movies like one time. That's not bad. Look at that. You've got the inflections down anyway. Oh, well, you know. All right. So, so after Andrew has shot Sabrina, Leonard ends up beheading her too. Like, he just takes her out. Yeah. Like, oh, well, that's it, I guess, because you guys aren't, you aren't, you aren't making the choice I need you to make, so I'm going to kill another one of us. At this point, wait him out. This is where it dawned on me that these were the four horsemen. It took me till this point to see that this is where they were going with that. Oh, really? Yeah. I didn't make this connection. I was too busy going. I was too busy like, like, sh- like folding my arms and going uh, <laughs> at this movie to even give a shit. What made you think it was the four horsemen? Well, the apocalypse, the end of the world, mm-hmm. and you have four people. And there's death happening. And it just all of a sudden like, this is the four horsemen. Okay, but... I don't know. It just clicked to me for some reason. Okay, but to me, the four horsemen are like pestilence and war Mm -hmm. and famine, Mm -hmm. right? Yep. What are these... How do these people represent any of that? Leonard doesn't represent war or famine or pestilence. Neither does... Neither does Sabrina or... Or Adrian or Ron Weasley... They, in fact, represent, like, nurturing and feeding. That's not a horseman. That's not a four horsemen of the apocalypse. It's, it's not. But for some reason, it clicked to me that these guys were some kind of version yeah. of the four horsemen of the pop, four horsemen of the apocalypse. Yeah. And, I mean, that's what they're going for. But my question, not just to you, but to maybe even just the filmmakers, how are these the four horsemen? If the four horsemen are supposed to be war, pestilence, famine, and I don't remember the other one, death. Death, war, famine, and pestilence. Those are the four horsemen of the apocalypse. How do these people represent that? I don't they know. represent the opposite of each of those things. Right, because there's... there. So Eric at some point starts interpreting this also as the four horsemen. Right. And... He explains it as the four qualities of humanity, malice, nu- nurture, healing, and guidance. Right. Yeah. So I, it's not it's not what it really is, but I think it's they're trying to like take another route with the it. The opposite but it route? Is, I, I, I don't know exactly why, but for some reason, at this point is where I was like, yeah. these guys are supposed to be the four horsemen. Okay. I don't like that analogy in this. I, I get why you think that because that's exactly what they posit. That's exactly mm-hmm. what they present these people as by the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm glad that you were able to figure it out. But it feels like they just wanted to cram the four horsemen of the apocalypse into this story. Mm-hmm. Is this what you were talking about in the, the difference between the book and the movie? Mm-mm. No? Mm-mm. This is in the book too? I don't know about so? that. I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. I can't go back and listen to that book. There's just no way I'm going to do it. So I might have to wait and then in the summer, maybe try and read it or something. I say maybe we can find it at a yard sale or something, something cheap. Ugh. Ugh. <laughs> After Sabrina is dealt with, Leonard, Andrew orders Leonard into the bathroom by gunpoint and he locks him in there. And then as their scene is so dumb. Yeah. And then as they're as they're like backing away, they're like, now what do we do? We gotta go find their car because our car is you know tire slash. They hear the window break in the bathroom. And then they open the door and they look into the bathroom and Leonard's gone. But he's there, not real. There is no way Leonard would have fit through that small ass window. How stupid are these people? 
How stupid is Leonard to think that they would believe that he would have gotten out that they window? They did. They were like all like, oh, where is he? Yeah. The, some kid in the movie theater we were at goes, he's in the bathtub. <laughs> and I'm like, brilliant. Brilliant, kid. Even even this kid who wasn't paying it. Now, I'm going to tell you, if you're bringing your kids to a movie theater and these kids act the way these two kids that were in our theater acted, you need to stay the hell home until you have a babysitter. These were kids that were like 10, 11 years old. At least. At least. They were paying absolutely no attention to it. They were playing up, on their phones. They were up and, and up down, and down, walking oh, all over the place. God. And if these kids can figure out that Leonard is not <laughs> fleeing out of the bathroom window, but is actually in the tub, and you can't, you being Andrew and Eric, you are really, really dumb protagonists. Really dumb. These kids weren't even paying attention. Shame on those parents, by the way, because they never tried to stop those kids from acting like idiots while people were watching. Well, they kept they kept putting their phones on anyways. I don't know how much the parents were paying attention either. <sighs> Why are you there then? Let us enjoy the movie. Yeah, I know. <laughs> you and I definitely have pet peeves about that with the movies. I This is one of the reasons why... I'm starting to enjoy watching movies at home more, which is too bad because the whole movie experience is something that can be a wonderful experience. The Absolutely. With the the bigger picture, the great sound, not in our theater, but the great sound. <laughs> and then sometimes even just the interactions with the other people watching the movie, the right. oohs and the ahs and the, you know, the cheering and stuff like that. That what wonderful things to experience with other people. But then when you have stuff like this, it's like, oh, I hate coming to the theaters right now. You know? Yeah. The, uh, the the go-to for me is always when we saw Infinity War. Mm-hmm. And we saw it in Florida. We saw it at the Disney Springs Theater, which was this huge, huge theater. It was massive. That's the biggest theater I've ever been it's, in. It's, an, it's, it's insanely big. It's like bigger than an IMAX screen, I think. But we're up in the balcony yeah. and we're surrounded by people there's people everywhere and at the end of the movie and Thanos is one and the movie just ends and everybody goes it just exploded like everybody lost their mind but there was all those through that whole movie too there was like moments where yep. Captain America appears and they were yep. cheering yep. and screaming and oh, I yeah. mean, it was just throughout the whole movie that was probably the best movie experience I've ever had with just collective excitement for a movie it was it was wonderful anyways we're back to let's go back to this yeah let's finish this out so (laughs) we can move on (laughs) just as they're starting to get the idea that maybe leonard didn't crawl his big ass body out that tiny window leonard attacks he was actually in the bathtub really weird right he disarms andrew and then he makes the guys turn the tv on again and now they're showing that airlines all around the world have had this catastrophic failure and it causes all these airplanes to start just plummeting out of the sky. And Leonard starts to talk and say the exact same thing that the newscaster is saying. Word for word, inflection for inflection, which I thought was pretty cool. Then he brings Eric and Andrew outside and he tells them that they have one last chance to stop the apocalypse. And Eric tells Wen to go hide in the treehouse until they come and get her. And they say, we're not going to do it. 
So Leonard sacrifices himself, but not before he tells Eric and Andrew that they will have only minutes to stop it now, once he's dead. They have a powerful storm that forms, kind of almost as a punctuation mark on Leonard's prophecy. And Eric and Andrew retreat to the cabin where Eric tells his husband that he has had a vision of the future, where he, where Andrew and their daughter have continued to be close and she has a career that she loves and she's found someone that loves her as much as she loves them and they're going to be happy. And he tells Andrew that he saw, he had a vision when he was, when they were being tied up just over Sabrina's shoulder in like the sunlight glint. Mm -hmm. Now, did you catch what that vision was? I didn't quite see it. It just, it really just looked like the a, glint of sun. A this like a glint of sun. That's okay. that's what I thought it was. I was like, oh, that's just shining sun there. So basically, he's basically he's buying into their yep. their. And you can tell stuff. he's buying into it. The more oh, the yeah. movie's going, the more you can tell he's buying into it. Yeah. Yep. And they, I think the reason that he has a concussion is to try and make you think, oh, well, that's just the concussion, mm -hmm. especially with the sensitivity to the light, and and even Andrew brings that up. You know, you're not seeing things that's sensitivity to light, but he. Also believes that the, like you said, the intruders were the four horsemen of the apocalypse and that their deaths were necessary to save the world. And then he basically, you know, he's found his peace. He's found like, he's made his peace with the world and made his peace with like what he has to do. And so he grabs Andrew's hand. Andrew's got the gun in his hand. He grabs his hand, which causes the gun to go off and kills Eric. That's still suicide. You're not allowed to suicide. It was laid out at the beginning. That is still suicide. Andrew wouldn't have pulled the gun if he hadn't grabbed it. That's still suicide. How does this work? Well, I think, though, it was still Andrew that pulled the trigger. So even though they were grappling for the gun, I I still think it counts because Andrew pulled the trigger. He was the one that killed Eric. I call bullshit. Anyway. I, I'm okay with it. He takes, I think it's fine. He takes a moment to mourn his husband, and then he goes to get their daughter, and they walk to find Leonard's truck. Well, Andrew limps to find Eric's truck, where he finds this evidence there that the group really was who they say they were. You know, Leonard was a was a kid's baseball coach, and Sabrina was a nurse, and Adriana was a line cook, and Redmond, even though his name wasn't Redmond, was still like a natural gas worker. And like, all of this was true. The only thing that was different was Redmond's name. At least that part of the story was true. And Andrew and Wen drive together to a diner where there's a bunch of people gathered to tell stories about surviving these different apocalyptic things. And then they watch some news of the disaster starting to come to an end. Planes are starting to land safely. Tsunamis are receding. The virus death toll has slowed. And Andrew and Wen decide to get back in the truck and drive off into the sunset. And that's the twist. There is no twist. But... The song comes on. Yeah, but we didn't we didn't talk about the that, song early on, so I didn't. Right, but the song comes on that Eric had picked for them to listen to on the way to the cabin. Right. Which, it came on the radio, so I could see where it would make them maybe feel like he's maybe still with them or something. Mm -hmm. But definitely a nice reminder of, you know, Eric at this point. Yeah. Here's the thing. Which no that one... song then got stuck in my head for probably a day and a half. Don't even say another <laughs> word it got stuck in my head too so here's the thing no one's ever really gone 
as long as you remember them, as long as you keep telling the stories about them, as long as you keep them as a part of your family rituals, they're never really gone. Question for you. Yes. Why this family? I Just random? My question was similar. Chosen by whom? My other question is... Yeah. If Redmond never killed himself, or they never killed Redmond to start with, would this apocalypse even have started? You said that most of those things were started already. The tsunami had started already. That is on the news. But yeah. that could have just been an earthquake with the tsunami. But if if Redmond hadn't willingly sacrificed himself, maybe that would have just been it, and it wouldn't have progressed any further. There's only one way to find out. <laughs> Time travel. <laughs> Knock at the cabin, too. Oh, God. No, no. Let's do it. Nah. Let's do it. Come on. Nah. We'll make it. We're going to make it together. Ready? <laughs> let's write it. Let's, let's write it right now. You ready? Here we go. All right. So, Gwen grows up to be a scientist, and she has developed a theory about grasshoppers and how they will aid time travel. So, somehow, she builds a machine that uses grasshoppers to cause time travel. <laughs> Hold on. I'm not done. And they go back in time, and they stop Ron Weasley from killing himself. Right? So they bust into the cabin, they save everybody, and then they disappear. And then we get to see whether or not... that That's as far as I got. That's as okay. far as I got. All right. What do you think? Eh. Then the grasshoppers make sense. Then the grasshoppers <laughs> have a reason. Let the grasshoppers go, honey. Fucking grasshoppers. <laughs> a couple things that bothered me about this. They are very calm about this whole fucking thing. These people are like, it's the end of the world. We need your help. They are very calm about it. They never get worked up. The, Not until it's the, their time to die. The most that the worked up, the most worked up anybody gets is Adriana. Yeah. But and she's that's got because a kid. She, yeah. She's telling the story about her kid. That's yeah. the only time people get worked up. Even Ron Weasley's like whimpering, but he's not that upset. Like he's not like. There's no real emotion to this. Also, Why his name's not... Redmond. Give Rupert Grint some credit. He is not just Ron Weasley. <laughs> You're right, but I like calling him Ron Weasley. I understand, but... Still. Fine. <laughs> Fine. Red... Redmond, then. But they're really calm for a bunch of people that are determining the end of the world, don't you think? Oh, yeah. It's... I think it's supposed to be unsettling, but it doesn't make any sense to me. There's no urgency to it. There's no anything. Like, there's nothing to it that's like Sunday. We're here. We're going to watch the Super Bowl. And by the way, we ran out of wings. Everybody stay calm. We it's, ran out of wings. It's surprising to me. And it is in a way and is sort of not in a way. But mm -hmm. for me, logically, to just go all in on this belief that this is going to happen is so far-fetched. Yeah. But then you think about what has happened over the last few years. In in our case, we've definitely seen it in the United States. I'm sure there's other countries that are dealing with it, mm -hmm. but there's a lot of like crazy beliefs out there and people just are all in on this stuff. Yes. And definitely. a lot of it has very little fact. Right. You know, it's just, oh, I think this, and so it's got to be true. They will it into existence Ex by convincing other people. I exactly. Yeah. So I can't, that's why I'm saying it's it's kind of believable, but for me personally, that would be so far fetched. I'd be like, I must be going crazy, or I need some like 
better sleep or something. I don't know, you know? <laughs> Man, I picked the wrong week to give up quaaludes. Uh, so. <laughs> something, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think, I think there's something... I think the movie tries to touch on this idea of like an echo chamber, like an online echo chamber, which is a very real thing, but they don't spend enough time on it. There's no time spent on it. Mm-hmm. They don't talk about it. They're focused only on the spectacle of it and not about the phenomena that got them there. We don't spend enough time on the most interesting parts of this concept, to me, anyway. Mm-hmm. You know? That and, like, the blatant homophobia that a lot of gay people, every gay person, deals with every day in this country and probably a lot of other countries, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, we see a lot of films that deal with the black experience in America. This film skirts the gay experience in America. Skirts it, but doesn't actually address it. I mean, a little bit. We get a little bit of the Redmond stuff and the, the, uh, the gay bashing. But... We don't spend enough time on it. I think those are the two most important things here. This echo chamber mentality and and the, the homophobia, the rampant homophobia of the religious far right. So, yeah. Do you have any trivia? I have a couple things. A couple trivias? Just a couple. Okay. So the broadcast of the earthquake in the tsunami is actual footage from January of 2022, mm-hmm. when there was an underwater eruption of the Hunga Tonga Hunga Hapai. The eruption was so immense that there were shock waves around the globe at least twice and was heard or at least sensed as far as New Zealand, which is pretty far away from where this is at anyways. So anyways, hmm. this was actual live footage that they have on, Wait. on there. Wait. The people on the beach getting a... No, not that, okay. but on the broadcast. Okay. On the news It's like M. Night Shyamalan made a snuff film? Jesus. <laughs> no, no, no. That wasn't the broadcast. That was like okay. supposed to be like a live footage. Ah, uh, yeah. Live, but live, the, who, yeah. What, news, what news agency would show hundreds of people dying to a tidal wave and then just keep it going, keep it rolling as the phone is like getting thrown about in the water? Come on. That was yeah. ridiculous, by the way. <laughs> now let's talk about, real quick, the difference from the book to the movie. Okay. Yeah, I'm interested. Let's do it. Andrew does not kill Eric in the book. What happens? The daughter, Wen, is killed when there's a struggle over the gun. They kill Wen? Mm-hmm. Interesting. So what you're saying is M. Night Shyamalan doesn't have any balls to kill a kid. Spielberg killed a kid in his first movie. What about you, M. Night Shyamalan? <laughs> You just killed Bruce Willis in your first movie. Ballsy. John McClane, shoot him right away. But that, that that would have been a big gut punch if it was when that had died, that's for sure. Yes, absolutely. Huh. That's that's the only difference? The only big difference? That, no, well, there could be others, but I haven't read the book, and of course I was just doing some research, and that's the one that I came across. And of, I think that's a big difference, and that's probably why it's one that I'd seen a couple times out there. Hmm. So the, the big ending is that the guys get to live on, but the daughter is dead. Mm-hmm. So that makes me think that the novel is more centered on when and her experience than the guys and their experience. Maybe. I don't know. Hmm. 
They do spend an awful lot of time from Wen's perspective in that first 10 minutes of the audiobook. Okay. So. I I feel like I would like to read this book because I think the idea behind this movie is interesting. Yeah. Oh, the concept is definitely interesting. The execution leaves a little to be desired, I think. I think that's the problem. So, do you have you have no other notes? Anything else that you want to add before we jump into our? Nope, I've covered everything. All How about right. you? I well, let's. Oh, I have just a couple of quick things. When Andrew goes for the gun, and he flips open the gun case, and he's still got to load the clip. Why wouldn't you keep bullets in the clip so that you can throw the clip in, and lock and load? Yeah, isn't that what people usually do? You keep the clip yeah. loaded and then but keep it out. Yeah. 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 And the only other thing I think that that was that had me kind of chuckling was early on because these guys were so calm and so like just nice about everything. I thought that this was like the Canadian version of the strangers where they just bust in and they're like, oh, sorry about your dory. Let me tell you about the, the apocalypse, eh? You know, like, I was like, this, this is a Canadian home invasion. This is what a Canadian home invasion is like, right? People bust into your house in Saskatchewan. They're like, well, sorry about that, eh? Just need to use the bathroom. Okay. <laughs> like, that's what, that's all I could think of was like Canadian home invasions. But anyway. Yeah. So, okay. So keep all renter right. erased, Jen, and tell us why. This is definitely not a keep for me. Oh boy, here I we go. I don't think this is a good movie. It's definitely not the worst thing I've seen. But honestly, by the time we were done watching it, I was just like really unexcited. It was just kind of like, all right, I just watched a movie. Yeah. You know, I, I don't know. That was a movie. Yeah, it was a movie. <laughs> I, I don't know. I didn't have a lot of like excitement coming out of that because sometimes you, when you come out of a movie you're either like you're energized oh that was terrible right and you're energized about that or mm -hmm. oh that was great or you know something but this was just and i don't know maybe because we're working a lot and i'm kind of tired maybe that was part of it too i don't know but it was just really ho-hum so I, i'm kind of on the line of the rent or erase because it's not the worst thing i've seen it's definitely not good, so that's why I don't think it's a keep. So I'm going to kind of go on a really low rent. I would like to give it another shot. I would. Because mm. I think I'd like to maybe after tax season, when I'm a little more awake, give it another shot and see if I like it more. Mm. It's not a high rent, that's for sure. So I'm going to go with a low rent. It's <laughs> not terrible, but it's kind of a little boring a little bit <laughs> you don't know um, for a movie about the end of the world not a lot happens no no but it's got an interesting concept so i want to see if maybe i'm just not in that headspace right now yeah so that's why i'm going to go give it a low rent how about you for me this is definitely an erase <laughs> there's no question about it the, already giving me like from the from the jump giving me like happening vibes you've lost me i'm done <laughs> I like that. I cannot, in good conscience, recommend a movie that doesn't spend the time that's needed on the important parts that, or the interesting parts in the film. Do you know what I mean? This is all spectacle. This is basically Transformers. 
It's basically Transformers. It's all spectacle. And it's spectacle that nothing really happens in. What, a couple of people kill themselves? Like, literally, the premise is, we're going to bust in and we're going to kill ourselves until you agree to kill one of yourselves. (laughs) That's the premise of the movie. The high concept is interesting. Someone has to make a sacrifice to to stop the apocalypse. Sure, but what in the world makes these people think that they sacrificing themselves is going to make the the couple and their kids say you know what we got to stop these people we got to save them so we're going to kill one of us what makes them think that that's going to make sense it doesn't to me it doesn't make sense they don't spend enough time on the most interesting part of this whole thing which is this echo chamber culture that we're in you're online you're talking to people of like mind and it creates an echo chamber, and they don't spend enough time on that. They blow right past like the important things, like the like the gay experience in America. They don't bother with it. The grasshopper thing goes nowhere. When's her when's cleft palate goes nowhere. The fact that 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 Redmond isn't who he says it is, goes nowhere. None of this goes anywhere. And it just, it culminates in one of them killing themselves, which they say is a disqualification. I understand that technically the one guy pulled the trigger, but he wouldn't have pulled the trigger if he hadn't like been wrestling with it. Also, if someone's wrestling for a gun, take your finger off the trigger. You can take your finger off the trigger. If you were wrestling me for a gun, I would not have my finger on the trigger. That's a 100% guarantee I would not have my (laughs) finger on the trigger. I would expect that Andrew would be the same way, so it is my opinion that Eric actually was the one that pulled the trigger. Which is suicide, and it disqualifies it. The apocalypse should still be going on. Also, four horsemen of the apocalypse do not feed people. They do not heal people. That's not what they're there to do. This movie's a complete wash for me. I'm sorry. I like if this is the what if this is how the book is. I don't even want to read the book. It sounds I, like hopefully, hopefully, the book. And I'm going to rely on you. I'm, I'm expecting that you're going to end up reading the book. But hopefully, the book actually pays attention, appropriate attention to the appropriate themes here and doesn't try and make this god-awful, like, Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse, like, like, it feels like it's just shoehorned in. I'm ranting. I'm ranting. That's how much I didn't like this movie. (laughs) I will forget this movie when we're done with this. I'll probably never think about this movie ever again. Dave Bautista, I love you. You did a really good job in this. Pick better projects, man. Pick better projects. Stay away from M. Night Shyamalan. Stay away from him. Do stuff with other people. Don't have to do Drax anymore. I get it. That's not what you want to do. Go do other things and stay the hell away from it. God, dude, even do Fast and the Furious. Do that before this. <laughs> do that before working with M. Night again. My God. So, how are you? <laughs> anyway, what, what, are, what are we doing next? I need... As as per usual, I need a palate cleanser after an M. Night Shyamalan movie. What are we doing? Please tell me we're doing something good. I think you'll like this one. We're going to cover Nobody. No, oh, yes. I'm the, I recommended this movie to you. I'm yes. excited about this. Yes. Yeah. 
This is this is going to be an interesting one. These are this is by the people that produced, I think, John Wick, if not wrote it. I don't remember. Yeah, they're related somehow yeah. in the John Wick it, universe. It definitely has a John Wick feel to it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, hopefully you'll like it. It's Bob Odenkirk, who I love. I've loved him I since like the Mister Show. He was like the Mister Show was my uncle Chuck introduced me to the Mister Show years and years and years ago, probably twenty years ago to be honest with you. And and I fell in love with it. Fell in love with Bob Odenkirk. He's he's Saul Goodman. He is just he's he's given us so much good stuff. Given us so much good stuff. And this hopefully will also be a good thing that everybody loves. But we guess we'll see that next week because Mr. Bob Odenkirk right here on the couch next week. Thanks for listening, everyone. You've been listening to a View from the Couch, a Space Moose Media podcast. You can interact with our hosts on Twitter by going to twitter.com forward slash view underscore couch. You can also email us at a view from the couch at yahoo.com. If you've enjoyed this episode, please help us get noticed by leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or the podcast platform of your choice. Thanks for listening.